Hello and welcome to The Local Authority, the podcast by Local Government Chronicle. Each month we bring together leaders and changemakers from within and around local government to discuss the most significant social challenges facing the sector. If you enjoy this podcast, please do leave us a rating on the podcast platform of your choice and recommend this episode to your colleagues. You can keep up to date with all the latest in local government news at lgcplus.com. Welcome to The Local Authority, a podcast from Local Government Chronicle. I'm Sarah Kalkin, LGC Editor. In this episode, my panel and I are discussing what has been one of the most vexed issues in local government for almost a decade now, the requirement to adopt an elected mayor in return for the most significant level of devolution of powers and funding. Of course, some would say that what's on offer isn't that significant by international standards, but I'm sure that's something we'll explore as well in today's discussion. Today, I'm joined by a panel that can bring a range of different perspectives to this issue. Paul Swinney, Director of Policy and Research at the Centre for Cities Think Tank, which was an advocate of the Metro Mayor model, which we now see in operation in nine areas of the UK, including Greater Manchester, the Tees Valley and the West Midlands. Councillor Anna Smith, former leader of Cambridge City Council and Deputy Mayor of Cambridgeshire and Peterborough Combined Authority. And Professor Carolyn Wilkins, currently a fellow at the Birmingham Leadership Institute and Chair of the Centre for Local Economic Strategies, but in a past life, Chief Executive of Oldham Metropolitan Borough Council for eight years, during which time Greater Manchester agreed and implemented the first devolution deal. So, Paul, I'll start with you, if I may. Why Metro Mayors? So there were two reasons uh, for this, I would say. One would be um, addressing the issue that a lot of local government uh, institutions don't cover the area that the geography covers, so basically the area that people live and work their lives over. So by trying to create an institution uh, through combined authorities, um, we are trying to, to create a new layer of government which actually does reflect that, which then hopefully allows us to match economic policy uh, to the area that people live and work their lives over. And the second one, and about the the reason and for, for the mayor in particular, is about then having a directly elected figurehead um, that that sits above all of that, somebody who is um, uh, is directly accountable to the electorate um, because they're directly elected by them, and allows them to take the decisions over that geography in the way that the existing um, uh, council leader model doesn't, because obviously as sure as many uh, listeners will know, you know local authority leaders are elected by their individual uh, ward as opposed to necessarily being elected by uh, by everybody who lives within the, the broader area and I think that's the real strength of the the metro mayor in particular uh, at the top of that pyramid is to have somebody in who is has got that direct accountability from all of the electorate sure sure so Anna I want to come to you next because you've had a really interesting journey from a councillor who was a sort of resistant to the idea of a, a metro, metro mayor to then deputy mayor and then acting up as mayor early this year when when Nick Johnson, the Cambridge and Peter mayor, had some, some health issues. So why were you resistant and have you changed your mind? Yeah, well, absolutely changed my mind. But I, I think back to when we were having the discussions around whether we should join a combined authority, very, very new councillor and... I just didn't see, if I was honest, I just didn't see the point. I didn't see what it brought to the system. We have a two-tier system anyway. We've got district councils and county councils. And if I'm absolutely honest, I think there are probably only two reasons that I voted for it as, as a new backbencher at the time. Um, one of which is the city was offered money to build council homes as part of the devolution deal, which 
we built and we built 500 homes actually as part of that. And I also remember Lewis, who was our leader at the time, making this incredibly passionate speech about the fact that Cambridge was a city that was fortunate enough to attract quite a lot of external investment and that we weren't doing enough to share that, you know, that benefit with um, the wider um, area and that we should really be doing more to support the whole area. So that convinced me. But I have to say, then I went through as a councillor, maybe not seeing that much of what it was doing. And, um, you know, I I don't want to start off getting getting very political, but I think probably, you know, the the previous mayor um, didn't perhaps share my political, didn't share my political, um, my political views, and we weren't seeing a lot of benefits coming to the city. So I wasn't at that point still convinced. Um, I became council leader, and we don't always have a system in Cambridge where we will automatically put the leader on the board. Um, so my predecessor, Lewis, stayed on the board. But then Lewis stepping down coincided with Nick being unwell. So I ended up in this really quite bizarre situation of um, becoming a board member, deputy mayor and acting mayor in the same week. So it was a huge baptism of fire and I absolutely wasn't sure what to expect and I absolutely loved it. And I soon realised, you know, within... (laughs) Within hours, I would say, genuinely, just how valuable the combined authority was to our whole region and what a combined authority could achieve. And I guess in short, that we're we're greater than the sum of our parts. I mean, I love the people I got to work with. It's that geographical spread that Paul's already talked about, I just think is such a powerful thing. You're operating on a much wider level. You're able to think much more strategically. Um, Particularly, I think that's true with transport. We need to fix public transport in this country. There are huge needs for public transport in our combined authority area. You're in much better position to do something about that if you're looking across the whole region and working together with the local authorities to do something across the whole region. So <laughs> I knew I'd really got the bug for combined authorities, actually, when it was um it was my birthday and I was chairing a board meeting and it was the budget meeting. And I remember sitting there chairing it and thinking, the only thing I want for my birthday is to get this budget through because we're saving 23 bus routes that are otherwise going to lose their funding and we have to get this through. And that was the best birthday present. So genuinely, it's that ability to do things at a cross council level working together with council leaders but also just looking in that more strategic way and I I'm 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 a convert basically so in Greater Manchester it's interesting I think because we were obviously very very uh, committed to devolution and to um, being able to to have more agency over decision making big infrastructure decisions but not just the big infrastructure decisions more broadly uh, there was though I think it'd be fair to say quite a significant amount of frustration about the the imposition of the mayor I think that was the the key thing about actually whether or not it was your choice but be, being a condition of the of the deal and of course Greater Manchester had had a long history anyway of working collegiately so um 
I, for example, I was the clerk to the Waste Disposal Authority for Greater Manchester, which was for nine, not nine of the of the councils. So we'd maintain quite a lot of that collective infrastructure uh, on transport, on waste, on culture, on a lot of those kind of those big decisions. So we wanted to add to that, you know, an areas that that we we couldn't currently kind of access, I suppose, in terms of that devolution. So um, so it wasn't universally kind of welcomed at all, I think, and the frustration about the imposition. And you had very significant political figures in the system as well, you know, Sir Richard Lease, for example. So it wasn't that we didn't have the 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 era of government, or we weren't well connected and used to working with government. So I think there were some questions about what would the added value of this of that be. But clearly, um, the commitment to devolution, we uh, it was progressed and, and it kept coming up, I think, over the years as well about, you know, should we have a referendum uh, to, to consider whether this is a model that people want to continue with um, that, you know, but very, very committed to devolution and further devolution, obviously, with the health and care deal and then pushing for other aspects uh, the bus bus franchising, you know, all sorts of different elements. And, and that continues, you know, it's continued since my, my time uh, in Greater Manchester as well. Thank you, Carolyn. And what do you think the view is of the Metro Mayor role in Greater Manchester now, uh, particularly amongst councillors? Is, how's the model working? Um, I mean, it's difficult for me to speak on behalf of, of councillors, really. But I, um, I think generally... There's a, well, it's it's a very embedded part of the the system. So I think as the over the years the evolution because has has been important because of course in the beginning it was as well as everything that was already in place. So it's not that things stopped or that you you know changed immediately the way that you were doing things. So there was quite a lot of um, tension. I think it'd be fair to say about well. Oh, you know, if we're thinking about the principles of subsidiarity, at what level does this decision get made? I know clearly that it's, it's set out uh, in in the legislation about the decisions of the mayor, the decisions of the mayor plus um, the 10, and then the decisions that are still those of the 10. But actually, of course, in reality, you're working in a much more kind of blended way. It's not, it's not as sharply defined as that. So I think that had, that took time. And I'm sure there are still points and moments where those tensions emerge again um, but certainly through things such as Covid you know I think we saw a lot of public recognition for leadership generally you know political leadership generally um, the role of councils but then that and the, the figurehead role of the of the mayor for Greater Manchester and Andy Burnham you know and that very strong sense of you know fighting for the case for the, the city region, understanding the consequences of central government decisions for local populations across the city region. And again, that, you know, that depth of knowledge has has developed and grown over the over the time. So like I say, I couldn't really say in general, is it pro or against, but I think it's much more embedded and much more um, the, the, the systematic way of working. Sure. And what, what's your take on on that in in Cambridgeshire and Peterborough, which is obviously a very different area to to Greater Manchester. Mm, And it's a different area. And and of course, it's a bit newer as well as as a combined authority. But I'd agree with Carolyn that it it just feels much more embedded now, um, part of the framework. I mean, 
We have quite a complicated framework in Cambridge, so I think you'd probably have to be a bit of a local authority geek to be absolutely sure right away every time which authority is dealing with something. Um, And I think even sometimes for those of us within the system, you know, remembering that the combined authority is the transport authority, but then the county council and Peterborough City Council are the highways authority. There's, There's a complication there, but the point is that the combined authorities seem very much as part of, of that structure. And I think, you know, right from the time that that he became mayor, um, Mayor Nick has been very focused on public transport, on improving public transport. I think people really understand that. I think people see that that's a real, a real positive thing that we are able to do. And there's a lot of enthusiasm <laughs> for having buses that run at the right time and are properly subsidised and, and that aren't completely at the whim of a private operator. And I think that that commitment to whatever you want to call it, you know, taking back control of the buses, if you like, um, is is huge. And I think people look to combined authorities that have been around slightly longer, like Greater Manchester, and say, look, this is what can be done. So being part of that 10 mayoral combined authorities makes a huge difference for us as well because you can see what's being achieved by authorities that are a little bit further down the line there and that's actually really quite inspiring yeah Yeah. Uh, and Paul just from the sort of national perspective is is the model working as centre for cities envisaged is it achieving its potential do you think we I mean devolution is very much a journey and I don't think we would expect to go from um, from being where we were to to being at the end point just within uh, one change of policy. And I think if we look at the changes that have happened, you know, since 2014, 2015-ish, um, particularly, I think, just in terms of the creation of the mayors, I think that in itself is a, is a huge step forward because as, as late as 2011, I think it was, the, uh, the Conservative-led government was saying they weren't going to do metro mayors, they were going to do city mayors, which, which they created a handful of, but they weren't going to do city region mayors. And there was a complete about turn by, uh, uh, on that over a, you know, a three or four year period led by George Osborne and, and we got the institution in place, which I think is a really big step forward. I think there are a number of, uh, of things that we would like to, to see improved from this point. I think there's a there's an issue about the way that the um, the combined authorities are set up. So I think a lot of national politicians probably see the London model and think, oh, it's the same elsewhere. But actually, the reality is it isn't. You know, in London, the mayor has got an assembly to to hold uh, hold him to account. But actually, um, he has the the final decision on a lot of different things. Whereas elsewhere, the mayor is one of one amongst equals. And what that then means, you know, this is technical but very important, and it actually means that the ability of mayors to use their powers, uh, even the powers that they have, actually is a little bit more limited than maybe is the case in London because because you've got to bring everybody along with you and actually you've got to get agreement from the from the room as opposed to, you know, well, I'm saying this and you've got to get a two-thirds majority if uh, if it's going to be anything different. It uh, means that, you know, things like spatial planning, for example, which has been very controversial in Manchester, actually is limited. You know, Andy Burnham, I think, has been fairly limited in what he's been able to do around spatial planning because it's something which is seen as politically uh, very difficult. And so he has the power in, in principle, but in practice, actually, the structure doesn't allow him to, to use it in the way that we as centre of the cities would like him to use it at the very least. I think the so number you, of the, Sorry. Just, are you saying sort of flip 
sort of almost reverse the current arrangements as I understand them where it's the sort of two-thirds majority but actually you the mayor what this mayor says goes unless you can get that two-thirds majority to disagree yeah I think the it would certainly I think it would empower the mayoral institution if that was the case and uh, and allow the powers to be used uh, elsewhere in the country in the way that the London mayor is able to to use the powers that that he currently has and I think the there's a there's a potential there are two issues with this i think one is about well how empowered is the mayor to, to do something and then i think secondly we have a bit of an issue probably in terms of how devolution is perceived from westminster which is well you know london can get on and do this sort of thing so why are they not doing the same thing in other parts of the country and something which is quite dry and quite technical which is the, the structure of the combined authority actually has a really important implications for the way that the the mayors either can use the powers that they have or perhaps changes the appetite for um for why the for the powers that the mayor does have so for example in greater manchester clearly there's been an issue around how uh the mayor can use uh, the spatial planning powers that he has if we look to other parts of the uh the country where the combined authorities are they didn't even ask for the spatial powers planning powers in the first place and the mayor hasn't been pushing for them because i think there would be so much of a political bun fight if he or she decided to do it that it just isn't worth the the bother now um, we think that that then limits the 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 good that uh, mayors elsewhere in the country can can then bring because of that. And I think it's it's those types of things where we would uh, like to see um, uh, more change, as well as you know giving mayors more freedom. So the, the announcement around um, uh, around trying to head towards you know single settlements um, that it seems that GM and and uh, Greater Manchester and West Midlands may well get. You know I think that is the the step on the next direction. It's going away from the siloed funding to try and um, to try and get single pots, which then gives the mayors great decisions about where to spend that next pound. You know how would we make the biggest difference in our area, which would be different to the approach that you might take in the other area. And that's the real beauty that devolution should be able to deliver. Mm. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of um interest isn't there about those trailblazer settlements just just one more thing on, on the london model versus the sort of metro mayor model and um, before we move on so are you because i know that in in london i think the boroughs are often though quite frustrated that they don't have the same involvement as for example the boroughs in greater manchester um are you saying is there some sort of sweet spot between the two models then where you might still maintain that involvement of, of the councils, but also empower the mayor, or is it De- not possible to have both? <laughs> well, I think it's uh, definitely about, I think it's about um, thinking about what the uh, appropriate levels are for um, for different uh, for different policy powers. And so and if we were to, to sort of look at it in a slightly different way, and if we think about Leeds, obviously Leeds sits within the West Yorkshire Combined Authority, but if we think about, about Leeds on its own, and we were to say... Um, and Leeds clearly that's one one local authority. We, nobody would ever say, "Oh well, actually, it's not fair that we don't have you know the voice for you know for the suburbs of certain parts of Leeds um, because we haven't got a council for it." It's like Leeds operates over that particular geography and actually even broader. So we should be thinking about applying economic powers to the level that that the economy operates over. Whereas say in London, for example, you know, basically. Uh, 
if Haringey, and say Haringey because that's where, uh, where I currently live, you know, if Haringey gets frustrated about the mayor um, having some sort of oversight, it would be that is akin to you know a councillor within a suburban Leeds getting frustrated with Leeds as leader. But I think because we've got these local government boundaries that just happen to be in place in London but don't happen to be in place in Leeds, we then sort of say, oh, well, it's, well hang on, well, where should these powers be? And, and there's, sort of, there's, there's fiefdoms that, uh, that need to be protected. I think we need to stop that and think about what is the best geography for these powers to go to? And then we start from there. If it's strategic economic powers, um, we think that uh, going to the to the combined authority or, uh, or indeed is the case in London, going to the mayoralty is the way to go. Um, if it's you know something around delivery or about delivery of local services in particular, that probably makes more sense for the the local council to do it. And you know it was interesting, Anna, as you were saying in in your area about. Um, uh, about the difference in terms of transport powers, you know, uh, some transport powers go to the to the mayor, but actually other uh, the the powers over the roads actually don't sit with the mayor. Clearly, that causes all sorts of issues in terms of how fragmented policy is, and I think we need to be thinking about how do we bring policy together at the right level, and who's the who are the bodies that should be responsible for that, rather than just these bodies exist, so therefore they should have things to do. Sure, sure. And- Carolyn, can I bring you in on, so you also had a role in, in national government um, as a, a number 10 advisor during COVID and as which you, you kind of dealt with the Metro mayors. What's the sort of perception of of them within Whitehall? So, so actually I was director of Contain uh, during COVID. Um, it, was, it was later on on the health and care white paper uh, that was in number 10. But um, so... So, like anything, uh, a, a, a strength, definitely a strength in terms of uh, a channel for the negotiations and discussions. So, for example, um, if you remember at the stage where we were going in, we were like tier three, increased restrictions, and you had areas like Liverpool, Greater Manchester, um, and Lancashire as well, obviously. But that ability to have those conversations with the councils but the mayor as well in terms of that that voice i mean clearly they was they were very strong advocates for their local communities and for the the areas within the combined authority so they were very challenging i think of, of central government and central government policy um that's not necessarily always that well received is it? but uh but respectful of the the roles and the and the different voices so uh and that argument really very clearly, you know, in the way that um, Paul was saying about the kind of subsidiarity, about at what level does it make most sense to do these things? Um, when is national about providing underpinning resources to support local areas or city regions that can then coordinate things themselves, um, but still need to draw on some national, as opposed to it being top down and done nationally in the absence of that local intelligence and understanding that, you know, the networks of agencies and communities in place. So um, I think when it worked well, it worked as a genuinely a people understanding their roles and responsibilities. I think when it was working much less well was when there were frustrations about things being done too and that the the channels of communication of intelligence would just weren't in place but um and i suppose just just to build on that i think it's it's always true isn't it that strengths can become weaknesses in certain situations so i think definitely the relationship that that greater manchester my direct experience could build with central government through the combined authority was very powerful um you know a collective voice being able to lobby i think what was then 
sometimes we didn't then as a local authority have a direct link into government in some particular policy or service areas where prior to the combined authority we would have done. And so I think there's something about if it feels like that all the conversations going through the combined authority, that's ignoring the sovereign responsibilities and the statutory responsibilities of the individual local authorities. And I think that's a good thing. I don't think that's a good place to be. So it's about the balance of that. Mm-hmm. Because again, just building on Paul's point, um, I don't think it's quite like saying a councillor in, in the suburbs, of uh, you know, in the hinterlands of Leeds having a, a different voice individual local authorities are accountable for a whole set of services, responsibilities, outcomes, and are held to account by the electorate, but by central government agencies and others. And therefore, I think I think that does have to factor in the discussions and the reflections. Because that's, that is partly what seems to me to be at the heart of a lot of resistance is the idea that the sort of creation of the combined authority in the Metro Mayor somehow diminishes the council. Um, Anna, what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I think I would agree with Carolyn on this, I would say, because the my experience, and obviously you can only really talk best about the things that, that you've experienced, is that that combined authority model, which I've experienced both as a council leader and deputy mayor, I think that has an enormous amount of potential because it does bring all those accountable authorities together. When it's done right, you're thinking about your own authority, but you're also thinking about what you bring to that greater picture. So you're not just pushing your own narrow line, you're pushing the line of the whole authority, which I said before, it it becomes greater than the sum of its parts. So for me, I think that is actually really important. And I think one of the things that it's vital for combined authorities to get right is we have different powers. We don't have superior powers. And it's about people not feeling something is done to them. I I think that was a bit of the concern for us as local councillors when the combined authorities started being discussed. Are we just going to have lots of things imposed on us so understanding that we all have different roles and, you know, it's Gordon Brown, isn't it, in his, in his report saying it's about the right powers in the right places. I think that's key. And I think combined authorities play a really good part in that. For me, the biggest frustration, actually, is that a lot of these debates, particularly at first, ended up around structures and that devolution becomes, well, if we just get this person in place, then everything's devolved. And you're not going to get real devolution unless you've got truly devolved powers. And it comes back to this single settlement, that end to the beauty context context of a ring-fenced pot, where you're kind of throwing every combined authority in there with probably about a week's notice to decide what money they want, what, how they want to bid for a pot of money, and then we're all fighting each other for it. Now, to me, that's not a strategic and efficient way to go. It's, and I would say this is also true, by the way, in a district council, in a county council, I think it's about trusting the elected local authorities with the money they need to do the powers that they have been given and let them make the strategic choices about how they use that money rather than saying, right, we've got a thousand pounds here for this and then 500,000 for that. 
I don't think that's helpful and I don't think it helps genuine devolution, which is driven by our knowledge of the local needs. I suppose one of the questions that seems to be at the heart of where places are debating this issue at the moment is, you know, I think everyone in local government sort of is agrees with what you've just said, Anna, about, you know, the need for real devolution, trust and empowerment. It, I suppose it's the question is, well, is it worth taking what's on offer, even if it isn't that, because because it's, as Paul says, a journey and we might get there one day, but we don't know. I mean, Paul, Paul, what what do you think? Will we get there one day? And what do you see, you know, obviously we're looking at a general election soon. What do you see as sort of the party policy on that might mean in future? Well, the sun's shining today, so I think I'm feeling probably pretty positive. <laughs> but I mean, if we, in, in seriousness, I think if we look at the developments that we've seen over the last couple of years, um, in terms of the trailblazer deals and the promise of, of something further, um, I think that for, for West Midlands and Greater Manchester, I think that's really, really positive. And it does um, set out um, a roadmap. We're not sure how long it'll take to get there, but a roadmap to what actually you know a, a complete version of devolution would look like, which would be uh, a single settlement for uh, for an authority over a sensible geography for a period of years. You know, it's not you know here's your budget for the next year and then scrabble around with it and uh, and we'll come back next year to tell you a little bit more. Um, if we're in the position of that, then that gives a huge amount of a huge amount more um, uh, flexibility over how local areas you know use their funding and use their powers for for uh, the betterment of their areas. I think the probably the the one final thing that we uh, that I think is a as a community haven't probably given enough thought to is what then fiscal devolution looks like within that because I think that's one of one of the big differences between what we see. Uh, in England and what we see in other um, developed countries is that there is a degree of fiscal devolution going on in in those areas in the way that we don't have that here. Clearly, that brings all sorts of challenges. Centre for Cities will be producing some work on that soon, which will be able to give some more insight on on what we think about. But I think that's the one area probably where where we need to think more. But if we then look in terms of if you look in terms of general election, we then see that you know both parties seem to be signed up to this. Um, Anna, you mentioned Gordon Brown's commission already. He says the Labour Party it should be about mayors, which I think Keir Starmer has echoed. Clearly, the Conservatives are behind the mayoral model as well in terms of you know what they've set up so far and the commitments they've given even in the just last two years. So I think it looks very rosy. Well, that's that's good. Always nice to have some optimism, and yeah, I think we're looking to do a future episode on fiscal devolution because. There's a lot to get into there as well, so watch this space on that one. Um, a couple more points I wanted want to, to pick up before we, we finish. I mean, I guess, do you think whether this is working well or not often comes down to the, to the individual um, and the mayor? And I suppose a question for you, Carolyn, what, what's the sort of leadership qualities that you need to make a good mayor? Well, that's, an, that's a really interesting question, isn't it? I mean, I think... It comes. It's about relationships, isn't it? So um, you can have as much written down as the kind of the rules and the framework, but you know, there's a reason work to rule is an effective kind of um, uh, trade union tactic, isn't it? Because it you can never put everything you want to you want to do down in the rules. So it is about the interpretation and and the relationships. Um, I think about that. You know, when you cover a big area, I mean, Greater Manchester is over 2.8 million population. That's a huge footprint, isn't it, to to be 
elected on behalf of. Um, so the relationship, the team you have around you and how you work through that sort of distributed leadership model, again, I think is really important. But also then the clarity of, of priorities. I mean, in my time in Greater Manchester, Andy Burnham had really clear priorities around worklessness, around homelessness, about school readiness, um, you know, really clear and uh, transport priorities as well. So we understood, I think, in the... Um, well, we did in the in the 10 districts about those priorities and our role and contribution. And a lot of time and energy went in in building that kind of collective responsibility, that uh, collective kind of commitment to, to delivering uh, those. And I think it's also, though, it's really important, isn't it, about there'll be disagreement. Of course there will, because this is a really complex system well, multiple complex systems, actually. One moment you're talking about the criminal justice system, the next you're talking about the skills system or the health and care system. So the ability to um, navigate across that territory. So, and I think that's an issue for everybody, actually, in this new world. We're not just as chief execs or elected members responsible for our own local authorities anymore. It's um, So it's thinking about institutions places and systems a constant choreography of those kind of those those priorities so uh, agility i think um is a is a key it's a key i mean anna could probably talk to this having done it uh, more more than uh, than i can actually but yeah it's uh, i mean i think it's a, an incredible role isn't it but hugely challenging yeah yeah anna what what is your take on that having done it and and sort of observed it being done by two mayors um now in Cambridge and Peterborough. So funnily enough, just as Carol, Carolyn was saying, trust your team, I was writing trust your team on my notes here. And I think that's, it's crucial. Um, I've never personally been the fan of, of a style of leadership that you think that one person can solve every single problem and is and can do everything themselves. I, I think that's no good for anyone. So I think a mayor needs to have that vision and also trust the team that's around them. And I think that's about officers as, as well as the politicians. A great officer team is essential, absolutely essential. And um, if he's listening, I would want to um, pay tribute to our interim chief exec that we had at the Combined Authority when I was um, acting mayor because I couldn't have done, done it without his support, absolutely. And, you know, Carolyn will know that relationship between the leader or the mayor and the chief exec is essential I, I think for the effective running of, of an institution um, I think you've got to be willing to work cross-party one of the differences with a larger combined authority area you're very unlikely to have every single authority being the same party as you um, in Cambridgeshire and Peterborough the mayor is Labour Cambridge is Labour that's it for Labour we have Lib Dem and we have Tory and Two of those councils are actually not Lib Dem councils, they're Rainbow Coalition councils. So we've got a huge range of different party groups. You've got to be willing to work cross-party and so have the board. And I think that's really essential. So if you want to have a combined authority that's doing everything that it needs to do for everyone it represents, then, you know, of course you're going to have disagreement and of course, you're going to have political disagreement because the board is made up partly of elected politicians. But dumping the Yabu sucks side of politics 
and the kind of political point scoring side of politics, you're just not going to get anything done unless you really sit down and look at what's best for the whole region. Yeah. And so for me, that's it, absolutely essential. It's, you mentioned that sort of the kind of leader chief exec dynamic that you get in local government and is, is to some extent replicated with the mayor and the combined authority chief exec. But actually we've had a lot lot of mayors, most mayors coming from outside of local government, lots of former MPs. And Paul, I just wonder your take, do, does that matter? Would it be good to have more diversity and people choosing to run for these roles? I certainly think it's a, another very high profile position. You know, I think as Carolyn said, um, GM has got 2.9 million people there. That's a, that's a huge mandate that somebody gets by being a, a by being voted in with a, a potential electorate of, or electorate of, of the size of somewhere that GM has. Um, and so I think that requires then uh, a figurehead to, to lead. I think that's one of the, the qualities that we would see as being good within a, a mayor, somebody who can lead, somebody who is visible, somebody who is going to go out and, and back for their area, um, speaking to the world, you know, having discussions with central government, you know, um, positive discussions, perhaps difficult discussions as Andy Burnham was having during COVID with uh, with central government. And so I think it does require a certain type of personality. And you know, if that is then drawn from uh, another walk of life, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think obviously they need to have um, some grounding in how, uh, in how local government works. Um, but uh, I don't see why it would be a potential barrier. And indeed, I think you know, we could probably point to some former mayors that have come up through the system of local government and perhaps weren't as inspiring maybe as what we uh, would have liked as well. So um, I don't think it should just be it should just be local government that, that people come from. Um, but clearly, local government is a, is a good ground for, for hopefully, or gives, let's put it another way, the mayoral um, body or uh, position and the powers that it has and hopefully will have in the future hopefully inspires more people coming through local government and see it as being a, a goal to get into local government and stay there by being a mayor rather than just, I want to be a local authority leader, but actually what I really want to be is an MP. Or indeed, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a mayor, but really what I want to do is become an MP. I think we want to continue to have this, um, create this position that inspires more and more people to want to come into local government and make a difference. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I heard recently one of the concerns in Norfolk where they're, they're, they've signed up to a devolution deal, but I think it's, it's not all, not certain it will actually go ahead yet, is, um, is that Stephen Fry might run to be the, to be the mayor there. And I mean, I've no idea whether Stephen Fry is, is interested or not in that position, but I guess there's that sort of concern from councillors that, you know, a big personality comes in like that and sort of completely sort of overshadows overshadows them and doesn't have any idea about local politics but um be interesting it would certainly give some profile to the role wouldn't it um, but Anna I think you wanted to come in, come in on this yeah I mean I, th- I think whatever your background you're going to come in you're going to need to get to know the people that you're working with and do that really quickly and that's going to be the same if you're a local councillor if you're a council leader if you've not come from that particular background um what I was going to say is, of course, just the reminder that almost every councillor is not simply a councillor. Um, most local councillors are doing the job on very low allowances and combine it with all sorts of other things, including um, often um, full-time or significantly part-time jobs. So you get that huge range of experience even within local government. So I don't think it's as 
a starker divide. We're not necessarily looking at here at kind of full-time politicians versus someone from outside because most councillors aren't. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we we have come to the end of our time. Um, I'm sure there's there's much more we could say about this, but I'd like to thank you all for a really interesting discussion and bringing some, some great perspectives uh, from your from your personal experience so and thank you everybody for listening if you enjoyed this episode of the local authority please do like and subscribe or leave a review um, that helps other people to find it um, feel free to tell your friends or share us on social media as well and we we'll look forward to uh, seeing you again next time thank you thanks for listening to this episode of the local authority brought to you by local government chronicle you can listen to the full back catalogue of episodes on apple Spotify or Google Podcasts or by visiting lgcplus.com forward slash podcast. We'll see you next time for another episode of The Local Authority.